Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Go from dragging yourself to work each day to finding a job you love. The Career Spring program is for high achieving and ambitious mid level professionals like you who are looking for a job that uses your zone of genius, recognizes your value, and pays you what you're worth. If you're ready to learn more, schedule a complimentary consult using the link to my calendar in the show notes. Be sure to follow me on Exclusive Career Coaching on Facebook, Lisa Edwards on LinkedIn, and Lisa.Edwards on Instagram. Greetings. How are you doing today? How is 2021 treating you hopefully better than 2020? Today we're talking about why the COVID challenge is your greatest opportunity. And as I may have said before on the podcast, I get literally daily multiple requests to be on this podcast. And those of you who listen on the regular basis know that I don't often have guests. And uh, it has to be someone who the topic really resonates with me, their presentation really resonates with me. And of course, I really think that it's relevant to you listeners. And when Fawn reached out to me, I felt that. And then we met and really connected. And so I'm really excited to have Fawn. Is it Germer? It's actually Germer. Germer. Okay. I should have asked ahead of time. Fawn well, Germer. Yeah, but the promo guy from the the publisher told all the radio stations I had a soft G. And I, I called him. I said, you know, it's a hard G. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, no, I, I researched that. And I'm like, no, it's my name. <laughs> so thanks. Well, you know, I love that. I get called Lessa all the time, as if any woman would ever name their child Lessa. That's just awful. So. I understand. So Fawn, why don't you start by telling us about yourself, your background, kind of how you got here? I used to be an investigative reporter for this little thing that used to be printed on paper and have news on it. I was in newspaper business and (laughs) I luckily got out of that before people stopped reading newspapers. And um, the reason was I had a really bad boss who I called the boss hole. And he once told me, that I would never be any more than I was a reporter. And I tried to win his approval. And in that process, I got a promotion that he tried to get in the way of. It's just like, you know, sometimes you have a jerk boss. And I already had been nominated for the Pulitzer Prize four times, but he didn't like me. And so I finally thought, well, he's the problem. And I left, went to Tampa to be at the newspaper there and go into management. And the skills that made me a really good investigative reporter, you know, hard charging, no BS, made me very bad as a manager. So I needed a book to tell me how to be effective as a strong woman in a male dominated environment. There wasn't one. So my friend said, you should write it. I said, I'm not going to write a book I know nothing about, but I started to think about how nobody had interviewed the great women trailblazers and gotten their mentoring wisdom. And I knew I had a big hit on my hands. It would be instantly auctioned off for high six figures, maybe seven. (laughs) Oprah would get it. I'd be rich and successful. And all of these women that I interviewed said, you have to take a risk and bet on yourself. You'll never be successful if you don't. And quit my job to write the book. And it was rejected by every major publisher in the United States. That put me in a position, I think that many people 
are in right now who might be listening to this, which is, you know, you've hit the wall, your dream's not going to happen. And you don't realize that you never know how close you are to turning the corner until you actually turn the corner. So you just have to keep moving forward and believe in yourself. So I did. I just took it one step at a time, figured out the problem, sold the book, and then got the first copy the day before 9-11. And then my tour was canceled. Mm-hmm. And I just persevered through that. I rented a car with the last money I had and went all over the country. And my friends out of love bought lots of copies and made it a bestseller. And then Oprah got it. And then it took off and it took off with my speaking career. And I have been a speaking career and author ever since. And my new book's called Coming Back, How to Win the Job You Want When You've Lost the Job You Need. And I had started this five years ago. Everybody's like, wow, your timing. And it really was born out of things that I started finding people saying in leadership events of obstacles they were having on keeping their job momentum going. So it's really not a book that just looks at needing a job, although the subhead says that because it's a good time to sell that. But it's about staying relevant and making yourself indispensable. And so when COVID happened, I just rewrote some stuff, updated everything, did a chapter on dealing with a national crisis like COVID. And the book just came out and I could not be more exciting, excited. It's just so much fun to have so much support from my friends and then try this new way of touring, which is in my home. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I don't have to get on airplanes and I'm doing lots of interviews and podcasts and this really has it going on. I mean, my biggest obstacle is getting somebody to take my dog so he doesn't interrupt everything. So, <laughs> But it's a lot less problems. You'd still have to have somebody yeah. take care of the dog if you were traveling and then a whole host of well, other that's, that's a good issues, point. right? So one of the things that we talked about when we when we spoke was this concept of kind of falling down seven times and in, in getting up eight. And, and you said that you'd kind of had to do that many times in your career. You've talked about a few of those times already. What have you learned about perseverance that can help the listeners? I have notoriously bad feet. I like walking long distances, especially on the beach because I live in Florida. So about mile seven or eight, it they, they start to hurt. And I have learned that if I take my left foot and take a step and then a right step and left and right, sooner or later, I get where I need to go. It may be painful, It may be difficult, but if I just keep taking the next step, I get where I need to go. Sometimes people get really impressed when they look at my bio and they don't understand that my career is like everybody else's. It has had really wonderful high moments and some low moments and middle moments. And you never actually get, quote, there. You just keep going and keep adapting the way to get through all of the challenges is to just take the next step. So that's what I know about perseverance is that if you keep moving forward, you get where you need to go. I I love that concept. And I'm, I'm reminded as you were talking, I've been listening to some of Brene Brown's unlocking us podcast. And one of the things that she said just this morning that, that I'd heard her say before is that research has shown that with athletes uh, when they think that they can't go any farther, or you or I doing an athletic thing, 
that research shows that we're only, we've only used about 40% of our capacity at that point where we think we're spent. And so I think that's such a, is such a good kind of parallel to what you're talking about. Well, have you ever split a board in half with your, with your hand? No, thank you. <laughs> well, right. I mean, and, and, you know, to understand why I did that, you have to get my last book on work-life reset, but you know, I, I was grieving. I had lost both of my parents and I went and did some real new age night where we walked over coals and all this stuff. But the one thing they started with was splitting a board in half. And I watched everybody and saw who split the board and who didn't. And it was that right before the moment of contact, the people who didn't, you saw just the sliver of hesitation that they didn't think they could do it. And just that is what stopped it. So I thought, oh, I'm going to smash that board. And I went right up to it and I just chopped through it. And I'm not kidding. That thing just flew because when you get that moment of hesitation, you stop the workplace, especially right now gives you a million excuses to get discouraged or quit. And you just have to blast through it until you break it. You'll, you'll get where you need to go. I love that. I, so the, the idea here is, guys, it, 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 no matter what happens, what obstacles you run into, what perceived failures, I don't like the word failure. I think I'm either winning or learning, but whatever happens, it's just life is a series of getting back up and keeping going. And, and you know, what is, what is, how many times did Edison try to make a light bulb before right. he was successful? So he, you know, if he had given up, who knows where we would be today. Um, and maybe what you're trying to perceive or, or persevere in is not as essential as light, <laughs> electricity, right. but it's as important to you as electricity is. I, I just, I love that story about Edison. Wasn't it like 450 times? It was a whole bunch. And clearly he wasn't, you know, I, my coach, you'll like this analogy, Fawn, my coach talks about babies learning to walk, you know, and how they pull themselves up. And she said, can you imagine if the baby tried one time and fell over and went, well, clearly walking's not for me. Right. That's a good point. <laughs> and yet somewhere along the way, as we become quote unquote adults, we try something once, or we don't even bother to try yeah. it because we're confident that we can't do it. Yes. Or we do it once. We do something we've never done before. We surprise, surprise, fail at it, quote unquote. And then we're like, well, that's not our, that's not my bag. I shouldn't be doing that. I tell you, Lisa, that's the thing is people talk themselves out of the greatest success and they don't even know what they could have done if they had tried. Exactly. So what, do you, what advice do you have for people that are trying to get a job right now? I know I have talked on this podcast and in my social media posts and geez, everywhere ad nauseum about this, but what's your particular perspective on folks who are trying to get a job right now? Well, we've all known for a long time that networking is key. And if your only option is online applications, particularly if you're in a harder to place book like group, like my book talks about middle-aged people, people who've taken time outs to raise their kids or take care of people or travel the world. If you're in one of the harder place ca categories, an online application is going to kill you. But networking is what gets you beyond that. And so you have to be very strategic with it. And like, like I say, in, in coming back, that LinkedIn gives you names of people who can break you into a company you want to be in. So you add these people as contacts 
And instead of writing some sort of a needy, cold approach, after you add them as a contact, you just follow them for a while and like what they like and comment on things they post. And then you make an approach. You know, I'm really interested in your company. Is there a way we might be able to do Zoom and coffee for 15 minutes? And that is a very effective way to get the contacts that are going to help you to get hired. And then more than that is that when you leverage your network, and ask for help with something, be very specific, call in the chip, say, I need a personal favor. Can you walk my resume or something over to so-and-so and tell them about me and then send an introductory email so that the conversation can move forward? People like to help people, but they have to know you a little bit. And so you make a contact and you know them on some level that feels more personal than, you know, hey, what's your job? Yeah, or, you know, right off the bat, and I'm sure you get LinkedIn invites all the time where they don't even bother to hide, like, I want to sell you something. So it's like, hi, let's connect. I want to sell you blah, blah, blah. And they, they're missing the no like and trust piece. So, you, you know, whether you're trying to sell someone, someone, which essentially you are, right. you're trying to sell them you, you can't just, you know, I think of this as a first date. Once you connect with them, you now want to go on a first date. We typically don't go all the way to home base on the first right. date. We're going to take it slow and, uh, and, and get to know the other person and let them get to know you. So I, I like that. I, like I, that. I just wonder why do people send those emails? Do, do they ever work? I can't imagine. I, I, I just can look through the, the messenger part of LinkedIn and and I could give you thousands of emails that I don't even bother reading because they're mm -hmm. so transparent. I just hate that. Well, my favorite is is the ones who reach out to me as soon as they've connected to see if I need help with my career. <laughs> All right. I like the ones that are want to tell me how I can write a book. Oh, good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You should you should take that class. I think that would help you. <laughs> No, it's like, thank you. I've written mine. Maybe I can help you. <laughs> well, that sounds really smug, but it's true. It's like, know who you're writing. That's the other thing. Exactly. No, you're writing you're the, the wrong message to the wrong person. That can harm you. Exactly. Exactly. So what I'm running into fun with clients and, and prospects that I'm doing consults with is so much mind drama, right? I'm, I'm calling it mind drama, but it's this it's these thoughts about themselves, these thoughts about the job market, these thoughts about their potential for getting hired that are killing their job search. And as COVID goes on and they are unemployed for longer and longer, those thoughts are ramping up. And I'm hearing so many people that are hiding in the covers, basically, instead of facing their job search. I talked to a woman this week who she was like, well, I thought I better call you. I spent about six months. I learned a new language. I picked up the piano again and uh, I lost some weight. And then I was like, but I still don't have a job. I guess I better, I better, you know, get after it. And it, and it had to do with those thoughts about the job market in herself. So what are you seeing and how are you talking to people about their, their thoughts about the job search as it goes on month after month? The problem people have is negativity. So if you're around negative people or people who are struggling, you think that's your reality. 
if all you do is read headlines telling you how many people are unemployed and how there's no opportunity, you're going to believe there's no opportunity. Well, there's not as much opportunity as there was, but there is opportunity. And what you have to do is make sure that you're the one who gets the opportunity that exists. And the first thing you have to do is make up your mind. Instead of saying it's going to be hard, just stop thinking about that. Think about how you're going to blast through that board. What's it going to take? And you make a list for yourself so that every day there's one more step you can take. You know, whether you're going to spend an hour every day on LinkedIn, you just don't stop. As long as you have a good long list and something else to do, you'll find something and you'll create opportunity. But if you become victim to that negativity and that belief that it's not going to happen, well, it's not going to happen. Exactly. That becomes your reality. Right. And yes, exactly. So we're talking about why this COVID situation is your greatest opportunity. What about people who are employed? How can they kind of leverage COVID and the circumstances in their business because of COVID as an actual career enhancing thing? Well, it's definitely the greatest opportunity if you're still employed because companies are desperate for good leadership and vision. Mm -hmm. And because they've had to splinter everybody out and dispatch people to their homes, they're still just trying to figure out how to get through this year. It's hard for them to envision how they're going to grow things. And if you see opportunities to fix problems or help things that you can volunteer for, that expands your influence and authority before you even get a promotion. You just do the work, volunteer, be on committees, take on extra Zooms, create Zoom networking things for people at work so that you're one of the leaders. It's just a great opportunity for those who rise up. And for those who are just stuck thinking, oh, I'm just gonna do my work sitting here at my computer at home, all is well, sooner or later we'll go back to the office. You'll probably still have the same job you had before, but why not figure this out as a way to create authority and influence? Because it's a great moment for that. I think it's also a great opportunity for people who maybe aren't at higher levels of an organization to just look around and see what are the unmet needs. And maybe this is something I'm either, I think I'm good at, or I could be good at, and I'm, I'm intrigued by it. I want to enhance my resume and I'm going to step up. I'm going to be willing to raise my hand and take on this thing that maybe no one else wants to do or the person who did it is now no longer with the company and it doesn't mean that I have to do it forever or that I you know want to make a career out of it but it's a great opportunity for me to learn a new skill set well those two words you said unmet needs yes when you see that and you know something and you volunteer to fix it so you're saying to your employer hey I can help you with this and it's not going to cost you anything and you don't have to do any extra work. They love that. Yeah, I can't, I can't even tell you how many times, especially when I was in higher education. So I was dealing with, you know, kids that were getting out to start their career and explaining to them that a raised hand and a willingness to do a job that needs to be done is like music in the boss's ear. And you never have to worry about, oh, should I volunteer for that? I don't know if they'll want me to volunteer. Of course they want you to volunteer. They appreciate that that willingness. So yes, pick, lift your hand up and say yes. Yes, absolutely. That that's gold. 
I love that. So we, we've kind of touched on this idea of, you know, your skills being, keeping your skills current. And it's definitely a buyer's market. So what I'm seeing is, whereas back when it was a seller's market, meaning that the employee, the candidate really kind of ran the show, you know, the employer might think, oh, if I can get 75% of what I'm asking for in this job description, I'll be great. Right now, they have every reason to think that they can get 100% plus of what they're asking for. So they've got this buffet of candidates who are waiting to pounce on any job offering. How can listeners keep their skills current? So these are whether they're employed or not employed, but also how do they know what skills to update? Well, that is the most important part of making a career sustain itself from beginning to end. It's the whole reason I wrote that book is that there is a way to stay current and relevant. Relevance is a big word. And so many people don't even spend time thinking about it. What do we need to do to make ourselves so valuable that they don't want to sidetrack us? They wouldn't consider laying us off. And what, so how do we find out what we have to do. Well, the first thing is, if you are waiting for your company to tell you what you need to know in order to do your job in the future, you are not an asset to the company. You need to make up your mind that you're curious, a lifelong learner, and you're going to know what's coming before it happens. So how do you do that? Let's say you're in the insurance company. You work for an insurance company. First thing you do is you search online for trends in the insurance industry or you look up artificial intelligence and insurance industry, or robotics and the insurance industry. And you would be shocked at what you're seeing about what's coming that you know nothing about. So once you know what the trends are, you know the things you need to study. And then you go to places like Coursera.org or edX.org and you take classes. Now, I love those two sites more than any because they match you up with the best professors in the world from Harvard and Yale and Berkeley and Wharton and all these great schools, Cambridge and Columbia on current topics. And they have these courses that are free. And the beauty of that is most of us don't need another degree. We need the currency of being current. Mm -hmm. So you sign up for a course and then you, I mean, the first time I did one, it was on innovation with MIT. Now, are you impressed that I took a class on innovation from MIT? I'd be impressed that you took anything from MIT. Well, okay, but, <laughs> but right, but you know, it's like, a, that sounds really impressive, but it's yeah. really easy. And these classes and those websites are free. They are free. And you don't need the grade because you already have your education. So you don't have to kill yourself to pass it. You just need the knowledge the education, and the ability to drop into a conversation that, oh, I took a class in innovation at MIT. And then you read the right things. You read Inc. and Fast Company and the Harvard Business Review and the Wall Street Journal. And you don't read every little thing. You just look what's going on there. And if it's interesting, read the article. Or if it's important, read the article. And then as you start to see trends in your industry that require skills and knowledge you don't have, if you don't want to take a class, you can always go to YouTube. And that uh, I have a great example of that because blockchain. Most people can't explain what blockchain is because it's confusing. And I read a couple of articles on it and I couldn't understand it at all. 
if you gave me a test, I would get a zero on a hundred. <laughs> I knew it was the, the technology that fuels cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, mm -hmm. but I didn't know how that was applying in supply chain and other parts of industry. So I went to YouTube and I watched a bunch of videos and still did not understand blockchain. But then I found a video that was four minutes long and it was called how to teach blockchain to a five-year-old. <laughs> and at that point, I understood what I needed to know so that I could then understand more. So you don't make it too hard on yourself, but you've got to be current. And then when you have discussions with people at work, you sprinkle little things in the conversation. Oh, you know, I was just reading something in ink about that and then tell what you learned because it shows that you are insatiably curious. And that is so valuable. Companies treasure that. I couldn't agree more. I think I, I worked at a liberal arts university for 13 years, and that was the, the employers that loved our students. It was because in large measure, they were just curious, wanting to learn and willing to make connections between seemingly disparate topics or disparate uh, subject matter. Right. And, and that was so valuable because it showed that they could think critically and, and that's worth the price of gold. Um, what is, what are those sites again? I'm excited about those. Tell us again. Coursera.org. So C-O-U-R-S-E-R-A.org and edX.org, E-D-E-X.org. And they're both free? Yes. Well, you can pay them for a certificate. Some of the programs are longer and more involved and there might be a fee with it, but they're, they're usually not that bad. But most of the things that you're going to want to study will be free. And Excellent. what happens if you don't complete your free class? Nothing. No cage is going to drop on you and, and punish you. You're not going to have that nightmare that you went to a class all semester and never showed up or studied. And then you have to take the final. None of that. You, you're just wanting the information. And it sounds like when you described it, that this would be the same process that someone would go through if they wanted to get promoted and they needed to know what the skill set was and, you know, where are the gaps in their skill set between, you know, the, where they are right now and where they want to be in this promotion, same process, right? Right. And let's add one more thing on top of it. It's what you need to do if you want to keep your current job. You yes. have to be doing this because Oxford did a study that estimated that within 10 years, maybe 15, maybe 20, but the, the big headline was 10 years, that 47% of the jobs that exist today will be replaced by technology. And that's not being jobs being sped up or, um, you know, improved by technology. It's jobs being replaced. So if that's the case, you need to know what's going on so that you create a space for yourself that's going to keep you viable and in the game. And this is so important for everyone, but particularly for those of you that are at or above a certain age. So when we think about technology, one of the kind of pushbacks I get a lot of times with older clients is, you know, they, they think I don't know how to do, you know, certain things. They don't, I don't know how to use the computer properly. Mm -hmm. And, and so anything that you can do to show, you know, I can, I can run with the best of them in within my, my job duties, you know, the kind of technology that I need to know to do my job is so important. So if somebody were to say, you know, I can run with the best with them, 
That's what really rankles me. <laughs> particularly as you age, you have a higher paycheck than others in the office. So the higher your paycheck, keeping up is not enough because they can hire a millennial or a Gen Zer who will do it for half the price, who will do it better and faster. And that you have to be honest about that. We were not nice to millennials. I have a whole <laughs> chapter on that in coming back, but it's really important because they're starting to hire people right now. They are going into leadership. So we have to play on their turf. And the one thing you know is if you have a high paycheck in your office, you have to justify it. It is not enough to do what you've always done. And you have to be current. You have to bring something else to the table. You don't have to be a programmer, but you have to know, and this is not about turning on the computer, but you have to know the maximum ways to, to use the benefit of social media. You have to know artificial intelligence, blockchain, machine learning, big data, robotics, how all of these things impact your industry. You don't have to be the programmer, but you have to know what's coming. So you have something that is useful to offer that again, justifies why they are paying you more. That is so true. And I'm, I'm, I'm laughing to myself thinking about when I worked at Truman State University, I was invited over, there was a medical college uh, in the same city. And they had asked me to come over and speak to a conference they were having. So they had brought in all of the clinical supervisors. So these are doctors and nurses, mostly doctors, all over the country that supervise the third year students who were out doing their, their uh, internship. And the complaint from these doctors was that they were getting these millennial students, the, the new, the new doc, the baby doctors, as I like to call them. And they were coming and they were, they weren't listening to them. They weren't following directions. They were doing things their own way. And I knew what they wanted me to do, which was to, to teach the, the millennials, because they were all in there too, right? The babies were in there too. And I, uh, I was supposed to teach them how to behave, but that was not what I was going to do. <laughs> I was going to teach the, teach the people my age, how to respect and utilize and, and leverage the millennials. And so, because you got it early on, you got it. So I brought, so I was, I probably in my, I was in my forties at the time, I suppose, uh, or near 50. And I brought it, what I called a specimen millennial with me. She was a student, a standout student working in my office. She ended up working there full time after she graduated and she was fabulous. And so she gave the pushback. So I just opened up the floor, let the, let the, you know, the, the people my age complain about the millennials. And then I let her answer <laughs> And not only did they shift their thinking about, you know, instead of fighting them, let them do what they're good at. And trust me, if you tell them to cut off the ends of the roast and you don't tell them why, they're not going to cut off the ends of the roast. Right. And she basically said the same thing. So she had, by the end of that session, she had two bona fide job offers. <laughs> See, isn't that awesome? So the, the trick now is doing it in reverse is how you teach, you know, baby boomers and Gen Xers how to impress the millennials so that you get the, the roast. Exactly, exactly. So one of the concepts that, that you mentioned um, when we talked before was kind of this guerrilla marketing or you know, guerrilla networking for yourself. And we talked a little bit about networking earlier. Are there any other kind of concepts around guerrilla networking that you wanna share with the listeners? It's mandatory. 
the better you network, the more you're going to get. And so the one thing about networking is you have to connect on a human personal level. So it is more important that you know that I have watched Grey's Anatomy for 17 years and I have a pit bull and I am a passionate kayaker. It's more important that you know that than it is that you actually know my job title. Because if we have connected on a human level, I'll help you. The other thing is, when you ask for something, you have to be specific about what you want and you have to be persistent. Sometimes I will tell people when they'll ask me for advice on say how to write a book. And they, because people decide today, I want to write a book. So I'm going to write Fawn and ask, how do I write a book? My assistant usually writes back and says, you know, Fawn will give you a, you know, a little mini coaching session, but you got to write her back and ask for it in three weeks. Because usually in three weeks, the people who are going to write the book will call me and the ones who aren't won't. You have to show that you really do need the help and do want the help. I think that's a great point. Respecting the time of the other person, making sure that this is something that's really important to you before you reach out and kind of call in that shit as you, the example you used earlier really making sure that that this is something that you need because you are sort of um, making a withdrawal from that relationship. That is, is true. And you have to remember that other people are making withdrawals at the same time. You know, we could sit here and do favors all day long and I, I want to help people, but I want to help the people that are actually very serious about it. Exactly. And, you know, I've, I've had you know, there's some groups that I belong to, and I've had women who've come up to me and asked me about, you know, my certain things that I'm really great at, like, you know, organizing their business, getting it started, some of those things that I coach clients on for money. And then, you know, three or four months, they come back and they haven't made any movement, you know, and then they want to ask me the same questions again. And I just don't entertain that. It has to be, there has to be movement. So this has been fantastic. Hopefully you guys have kind of thought about your your career path, your unemployment, your employment, a little bit different because of today's session. Fawn, how can people reach out to you? Well, first of all, I've got a new book called Coming Back, How to Get the Job, How to Win the Job You Want When You've Lost the Job You Need. So I say buy that book for everybody. And it's not just about unemployment, it's about staying employed. And then um, my, you can visit my website, which is fawngermer.com, G-E-R-M-E-R. No, it's pronounced Germer. I looked it up. Right. I know. I know. I like that guy telling me that he knew my name better than I did. <laughs> and then I've got a freebie, which is for you. And um, I sent you the link to that for your page, Lisa. Yes. And, and it's um, a, a PDF on how to um, reboot your career during covid and the other one is taking the next step. So I just really hope everybody understands that there is opportunity out there. In a moment when everyone else is giving up, you will find your greatest opportunity to succeed. I love that. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. My pleasure. And everyone, I will see you next week. Take care. You've been listening to The Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach, so be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.